Hello everybody and welcome to the third episode of Six Degrees of AGR, the unofficial AGR podcast. Right now I am joined with Shane C. Drake, who is a director for the Week music video by AGR. And he has also done many other music videos, such as Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco. Welcome. Hey, glad to be here. Glad to have you here. So before we get into the questioning, I kind of like to do quick games with people. So I'm going to play the one minute question game with you. Basically, I'm going to set a timer for one minute and I'm going to ask you as many questions as possible. All right, let's do it. Three, two, one. What is the scariest animal? Oh, jeez. Tiger. Uh, what is the best thing on the Taco Bell menu? Chalupa. Uh, what is the superpower that you wish you had? Flying. What is the best movie soundtrack? Magnolia. What movie would you re-edit if you could? Oh, gosh. <laughs> jeez, I don't know. Gosh. Re-edit? <laughs> Anything by Terrence Malick. They're all too long. <laughs> okay. Um, what is the best way to listen to music? Vinyl, CD, or digital? Uh, digital is more access to it. Vinyl may have better quality, but digital's got more access. What is the funniest stand-up comedian, in your opinion? Oh my gosh, I have so many friends who are stand-up comedians. Uh, <laughs> Let's offend them all. I think, I think Jim Gaffigan's hilarious. Okay. Um, what is something strange that inspires you? Something strange inspires me. Uh... CD bars. All right, and that is one minute. So what art form did you fall in love with first? Uh, well, the first time I ever edited, I was in grad school. I was at Princeton. I had just had got this wild hair for the first time ever that I wanted to make a little short film. So I went and shot this film, and when I got done with it, I, was, I really enjoyed that process. Like having that kind of control at my fingertips really felt like I was actually creating something as this sort of mystical idea. It was an actual tangible thing I was doing, and it really sort of connected with me. And from there, I ended up getting to edit a few projects that were like more commercial based and then from there the moment where editing really took off is something that I found not only that I had skill in but I found a real drive and, and interest to like pursue was with music videos and what was the first music video that you ever shot the first music video I ever shot it's kind of a toss-up because the very first video I was on set and kind of in the role where I had directing power was for a band called slick shoes I believe the song was called alone but the band that where I first first edited, which was, you know, only probably a few months after this, where I actually not only was the director and sort of had the say-so, but I came up with all the creative and sort of had autonomy with it, was for a band called Me Without You. The video was all centered around this idea of the giving tree, and the band had this incredible style and like just swagger for their era but our shoot was in Birmingham Alabama in the middle of the summer it was like 110 out and by the end of the shoot the drummer had to go to the emergency room for a heat stroke it was crazy like they were committed to their craft but that was my first moment where I really feel like I was cutting my teeth as, as a director and I so, so oftentimes even though it wasn't my technically my first I consider that my first you've done a lot of music videos for a lot of different artists ranging from alternative pop to hardcore is there any specific style or theme that draws you to certain artists? Well, in the beginning, a lot of this talk will start off with me talking about my mentor, a guy named Darren Doan, who was a pretty seminal artist when it came to music video directors doing punk rock in the 90s and early 2000s. And he was a guy I got connected to, uh, just I latched on to some of his work and we ended up becoming friends and he agreed to mentor me and sort of show me the ropes. And as a result of that relationship, I was drawn into a lot of punk and hardcore bands in the beginning because that was his community. I became a real genuine fan 
of those bands because I just worked with so many of them, got to know so many of them so closely. So that sort of pulled me in a genre direction. But as I started to get my own footing and figure out who I was as a director, my initial sort of aesthetics really geared towards left of center. I think the best examples would be like the Panic at the Disco video for I Write Sins, Not Tragedies, or the Paramore video for Crush, Crush, Crush. These are videos where you can see I'm trying to step out of a normal narrative and do something that's more symbolic, but also has some kind of balls to it. And so that was my initial sort of style and, and sort of penchant for the weird. But then I got into working with artists like Avril Lavigne and Kelly Clarkson and Daughtry and much more, I don't want to say mainstream, but I guess they were. But my hope was to evolve and to grow and still is as a director and get a chance to work with choreography or get a chance to work with uh, a pop artist that just makes something super stylized. Those are the kind of things that I really appreciated as I grew into bigger and more substantial budgets and more, you know, sort of mainstream artists. I think you can also see that even as I was still growing, you know, you look at a video like, wow, I can get sexual too, which is super like outside the box. And we had a great big budget for that. And my heart still lent itself towards the sort of more bizarre and weird. I like there to be a little grit and a little edge to what I'm watching. And I like to incorporate that in my own work when I can, when the project calls for it. Okay, so before we jump into the questions oriented around AGR, I'm going to play the song Week by AGR so that any of you watching visually who haven't seen the video can better understand what we are discussing. What I should have said, I should be in bed. But temptations of trouble on my tongue, troubles yet to come. One sip, bad for me. One hit, bad for me. One kiss, bad for me. But I give in so easily, and no thank you is how it should have gone. I should stay strong. After dark, I don't want no part. My habits, they hold me like a grudge. I promise I won't budge. One sip, bad for me. One hit, bad for me. One kiss, bad for me. But I give in so easily. And no thank you is how it should have gone. I should stay strong.
So how did you first connect with AGR? Like, how did you find them? Did they find you? Basically, in the beginning, I was you know, doing a lot of stuff with my mentor. That, that's been ages ago. But in 2006, I got a rep. And so that's kind of the next progression for a director is you get a rep who basically has relationships with labels and they sort of try and hunt out and work for you. My rep, Tommy Labuda, who I've been with since 2006 and I'm, I'm still with, he basically will submit songs that labels reach out to him trying to find a director for. And this was one of those cases where Tommy and my production company knew that I'd had a relationship with the, the guy that was running this label, Milo, and they reached out to me about this new track and said, well, this is gonna be really cool. So Milo sent over the track uh, actually through Luga, my executive producer over at uh, London Alley. As soon as I got it, you know, some, I get I get a lot of tracks that I pass on. You know, the song doesn't strike me or don't have the time or whatever, but when this song came to me, I was kind of flipping out because not only was it doing something that felt new, which is a hard thing to say in this era, you know what I mean? Everything, Everything's just a copy of a copy of a copy, but it felt like they were doing something new. And again, their sound, they have a lot of artists that they you could say they sound like, you know, they have a John Bellion vibe, they have a this vibe, they have a vibe, you know what I mean? There's a number of like artists that you can compare them to, but how they were doing it and the sort of energy behind it felt entirely new. I was watching the week behind the uh, scenes music video and I remember that you mentioned an uncontrollable like pole feeling to it. The band came to me uh, with a desire for something that was a little out of the box, um, something that sort of had some, somewhat of a uncontrollable pull kind of feeling to it. And I get exactly what you mean with new music because they have a sort of mixture that just feels like unnatural but like compelling at the same time. And the thing about it is like to be able to hear the artist through the song and have never heard of them and never met them, that's a very difficult thing to do. That's the power of art. There's a billion songs out there and there's songs you can hear that you either like or dislike but they don't have a connection with you because for whatever reason, whether the artist was less involved or doing this for reasons that had nothing to do with the art of it or whatever you just don't always feel that connection and sometimes there's an artist that come along and I, and I feel the same way about a lot of the first artists that I got to work with you know like bands like Panic and Paramore who I did multiple videos for because I was inspired by them that they had that same connection to their music that I felt that AJR did and it's because the three brothers really care about what they're doing and you sense that when you meet them that this is not just a shot at fame it's not just a desire towards vanity they really love this music and they're very 
very talented and gifted in it. They're also very smart. These three guys are just geniuses. <laughs> and so you put them together and you and you get that heart and that passion and that and that true just uh, artist drive. You end up having a different song than the rest out there. And so I got the track. I played it for my girlfriend at the time and she loved it. I'm like, shit, this is a hit. I got to go write this. And so I went back to the house and oftentimes the writing process for a director can be painstaking. It can take days, sometimes weeks, you know what I mean? And you don't have weeks. Usually you only have days, you know, before it's due. But this one came to me almost immediately. And I can name, you know, a handful of songs in my repertoire that have come quickly in terms of the ideas. And this was one of them where I just sat down and I just knew it. This song just had an immediate grip on me. And that grip on me is what I tried to personify. So it's almost like the concept became this meta existence of what its effect was on me. And you came up with the idea for the train setting and the other brothers asleep and all that? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And I know it's it's weird because you're like, did you really think about all those specifics? Was it just a general thing? And everyone kind of, it's like, no, sometimes the ideas come that bizarre. They come that specific. And I think that's one of the sort of beauties of music video directors, especially the, the ones that have gone on to make really incredible work. There's a different way their brain functions when they hear a song. You know what I mean? And the ideas that come to their head are, I'm not saying better or worse than anyone else, but they're particularly nuanced such that they that they make sense for this this universe, you know, this universe of music videos. And so I've been fortunate that I feel like I fit in that universe and that my mind, all its weird and complexities, happens to fit in this universe. It's those details that give me a charge. You can look at videos like Nine in the Afternoon from Panic at the Disco and think, how did all that shit come to your head? But the fact is, it just did. Uh, so did you storyboard every shot as soon as you got the idea for it? I can't draw a stick figures to save my life, so I've never storyboarded anything. Uh, I've hired storyboard artists for commercials, but I don't ever storyboard music videos. Basically, the what a treatment looks like for a music video is a uh, two to three page write-up and then about a seven to ten page basically lookbook with photos and visual references uh, that really sort of tell the story of what you're saying through images. And how long did it take you to go from writing it to to performing it, to editing it, and then finally being able to release it? So I get a call about the track. I listen to the track. I freak out. I write down the write-up of the uh, idea that night. Before I actually did the layout, though, we did a phone call together with the band and the label, and I kind of pitched them, and they loved it. At that point, I uh, finished the layout. That was probably another couple hours of that afternoon. Once that got approved, you basically go through budget approvals, and so that's where the label and my production company, London Alley, would go back and by my company I mean the company that reps me I don't own it the uh, production company and the label go back and forth trying to budget out what the thing's going to cost and how much and making sure it's what the label has to spend and then that takes you know that can take anywhere from a day to a few days and then when that's done uh, we were pretty much on a plane off to New York I think that I think it happened pretty quickly it might have been a week or so before that before we actually shot to New York but the process of like putting the idea together on paper was a couple days and then flew to New York and we had a day to shoot this so we did all this in one day still on the train right now the director just told us that it's probably going to go to around 6 a.m so i'm mentally preparing for that our biggest challenge was trying to find a subway car because i lived in new york for a few years in the 90s and i and i loved it and so i've just always loved to use new york type of imagery uh when i can and shooting on the subways is something i've always wanted to do and so that's what we kind of use this video for but turns out shooting on the subways is super expensive because you've got to shut down 
downtown part of the main transportation system of one of the most major bustling cities in the world. So they've got certain cars that are earmarked for filming and whatever. But again, even if you get one of the cars that isn't like used for transportation, but it's used for filming, it still has to run the rails. And that's a huge liability. So the insurance and the cost and expenditure for that is through the roof. So we quickly started realizing that we weren't going to be able to get a functioning running subway and that we were going to have to figure out how to do it with that constraint. The next goal was to find a standing subway with multiple cars that we could cheat. And we were fortunate enough to find this subway museum. Today we're in the Transit Museum in Brooklyn, New York. It has a lot of the old trains up to the new train. The thing about these newer buses is they're also very fragile. So you want to make sure when you're touching things, you're really, oh, you broke it. You broke, you've broken everything. And so this was sort of a perfect scenario for us where we were able to go and pick out a few specific train cars that I liked that I felt fit the mood. Then the next trick was how are we going to make it look like this thing's moving? Because these are parked. These are in the museum. It's underground. It's in a tunnel still, but they're locked off. They're not moving. So we had to figure out how to pull off this gimmick. And so I think it was the DP that really had come up with our solution, which was all lighting based, which was basically to have chasing lights running along through the windows and to have a couple moving lights sort of panning on and off to give this effect that the train was in motion when you were just standing there. Our style of uh, cinematography definitely aided too, because the idea was how do we make it feel like the car is shifting back and forth? And obviously that's happening in camera. Some of it was steady, some of it was handheld, but all of it was sort of done with the notion that this is supposed to give the feeling of us moving. If he stumbles and the camera shifts, that's all intentional. And that when worked in conjunction with the lights, I think it's 100% believable that they're on a moving train. And none of that was green screen. That was all just practical effects. So some things I noticed while watching the music video were these signs on the windows saying, go back and let go. Do you tend to use audio and visual Easter eggs in your music videos? I mean, like anytime you can put Easter eggs in something, it's a bonus, right? I put as many of those kind of things in my videos as I can. Very rarely do they get as noticed as I want them to be noticed. But in that case, you know, I really, I wanted this notion that everything in the world is telling you go back. But despite that, the temptation is so strong, you're not going to listen to your better judgment or any of the surrounding forces around you, you're just going to go and just pursue that one temptation. And so for me, those little Easter eggs for this one are particularly important because if you do happen to catch it, it makes the story that much bigger. If you don't, the story still makes sense and you still enjoy the video and it still works. But these particular ones were important to me because they had a significant enhancing effect to the overall concept of the video, which isn't always the case. Sometimes they're, you know, these Easter eggs are just for fun, but this really had some intent and purpose behind it. At the time, I was very new in, uh, in my sobriety. And so this song came along at a time where I could relate on so many levels on my own personal struggles with overcoming alcoholism. And so that became another driving force for me to really try to heighten the tension in this video anywhere I could because I was going through it myself. I actually celebrated four years of sobriety on the 25th. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And it's been the most incredible journey of my life. But this video came one year into my sobriety or not even a full year into it. And so so like everything was so fresh and so new and this song was so poignant towards my you know situation in life that it really carried with the emotional ties for me that really made me connect with it on a whole other level. For me, this song is about alcoholism, right? That's not what the song's about. It's not what it's about for you. I don't know what it's about for you. And I, it's not what it's about to them when they wrote it. We all uh, either go or went to Columbia in New York and my friends would come knock on my door and say, nope, we're going out. And it's just so hard to say no to something like that when I should be getting sleep and I know I have to keep 
keep healthy, but I gave in, you know, every single time. But I also to be cautious because it's not about alcoholism. So I don't want to make it about alcoholism. So like as an artist, you've got to sort of realize where the line is between your personal attachment to a piece of music and what it actually needs to be for the masses. And so uh, I had to really sort of make sure to steer clear and not make this some specific thing because I love that that's what it represents for me. But I also love that that's not what it represents for other people. And that's the, that's the beauty of art. And that's the beauty of music. And does having a personal connection to a song end up making the process easier or more intriguing? Depends. Sometimes it can be a hindrance. In this case, because it was such a positive thing happening in my life, it really helped. But when I was going through a divorce in 2008, I swear every song I got that year was a depressing song about a breakup. And so in that case, some of the songs were too heavy for me to actually conceptualize because I was just going through it. And and songs about divorce or breakup at the time I'm like oh cool this is a song about this I, I should be able to nail this because this is what I'm going through and then I would just get too caught up in the song and then what it, it meant for me and not be able to break out into the sort of wider scope of what it needs to mean to the fans and so it can definitely be a hindrance this one because getting sober is a really positive experience for me it ended up helping me and so you know it can go either way and I think that's something, you know, as an artist, you've got to be cautious of. How big was your crew when you were working on this project and how much control did you have of it? I mean, gosh, our crew, it depends on, you know, what, where you're at, how big your footprint is. Like, I think we probably had 30 people on set. And again, like you basically got the DP, got his crew, which is, you know, his gaffer and his, his gaff team, which light it, his key grip and the people that grip under him. And then you've got the hair and makeup team and you've got the assistant director, you've got his PAs, you've got the people that are sort of assisting that, you've got the record label and the people that are there for them. You've got the band management, you've got the band sort of support. So there's, it's a lot of different factors are there you know and so i'm not necessarily like in control the one telling every single one of those people what to do but i'm certainly the point person so if anyone of any of the departments has a question what's happening or what's next i'm absolutely a person but that's why i have an assistant director who really ends up being for all music video sets ends up being kind of the point person because the director you want to kind of keep them freed up as possible to sort of be creative you know what i mean to be thinking about what's next what's the next shot how are we going to do this best and so basically my line of communication is usually with uh, the DP. And then he communicates our discussion to his people. The other person I talk to a lot would be my AD. And then he communicates that to the production staff. That's kind of sm on the smaller side. How much is it usually around? I mean, you can have anywhere for 100, up to 50 to 100 people on set. Depends on what you got. I mean, I've had some sets, like I, I referenced that nine in the afternoon. I mean, our, our, our crew for that was probably 40 and our cast was 40. So close to 100 people on that for sure. But it's it depends. I mean, you know, I've also had a duper lo-fi thing where you know i did a papa roach video where uh for the song kicking the teeth where we kept it super lo-fi and i think our crew on that was probably less than 20. so ajr is known to have a sort of trademark look especially with jack's hat and white shirt were there any wardrobe complications because of this well what's funny is it was the first big video they did in this sort of new launch for the click they'd had a couple of videos years before when they were younger but week was really their first foray into this mainstream world of alt pop and uh they hadn't quite established a look yet. He certainly wanted to, and he expressed to me that, you know, he really does prefer to wear the hat and the white t-shirt, but he understood if the concept dictated that we don't do that. And so that was a conversation we had right in the beginning. I think in his mind, this was something he wanted to carry through for years to come, but at the time didn't want to ruffle feathers and didn't want to mess up the vision if it called for not having it. But if he wanted to keep that hat and keep that vibe and, and have that be his thing, like, 
I was more than happy to help let that be the genesis of that taking stronger hold in their in their career visually. And so for me, I thought it was kind of cool. I, I I supported it. I think though, if if for some reason I'd had a different vision, I think it could have steered them away from that. In that at least for that one video. But uh, I'm glad we didn't because I think he's got good instincts. I think that that whole band has good instincts, and the fact that this is the kind of vibe they wanted to go for, and this is what they were hoping it could stay as. Like I think that spoke volumes about how committed they were to the whole picture of their craft, which is only something I can respect. I had a little uh, question that I thought was an odd question to ask, but I was like, why not ask it anyways? Sure. What was the purpose of having Jack yell at Ryan the entire time? I just think that Adam is a super mellow dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of the introvert of the three. Absolutely. And Jack is a super bombastic, spastic type <laughs> of eccentric, which I love about him. And then in between there, you've got Ryan, who I think is super explosive in his energy too, but he's a lot more calculated. So for me, me, the spark visually there uh, is is between Jack and Ryan. Adam's like foundational. And so to me, I think the screaming had no intent purpose other than there's that creative like metamorphosis. All this is me just sort of second thinking about why I would have done that. In the moment, I just thought it fucking looked cool. But as I'm thinking about it, my heart and my mind was probably drawn to do that because of the reason I'm telling you. So rewinding back to the beginning of the music video, when we first see Adam, Jack, and Ryan, they're all asleep. And then Jack wakes up. What was the symbolism in that? The original idea was to have them go one by one, not all in the video, but to imply that. So the idea was that after Jack gets hit by the train, the video would then cut to Ryan opening his eyes. That was my original idea. For some reason, we didn't end up doing that. So my idea was that Jack was just first. We realized, oh shit, now they're going to go through their thing. And then the video ends. And that to me is something that I always like to end with some sort of a visual that now has context for you that I don't have to show you the rest of it anymore. But because of the video, it has context to give you a, a clue like, oh shit, this guy's in for trouble. Video's over. Other than that, I think it was just something that we decided wasn't necessary because it was such an impactful moment to have him get hit by that train. And I'm unsure if you've seen the music video called My Dad by JR. Have you seen that one? No. Okay, well, in that music video, instead of Jack waking up, it's actually Ryan that wakes up. So I'm guessing that wasn't planned or do you think it could have inspired or sparked that idea? I don't know. Anything I would say right now would be complete conjecture because I have no clue. Sorry, I wish I had an answer for you. You'll have to get the guys on your podcast and ask them. After watching the entire music video, what do you hope the viewer takes away from it? I would hope that people would walk away affected. My only desire is that it elicits some kind of a reaction from you that is something other than this was terrible. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But were someone to have a similar reaction to what I intended for me to feel from it, then that'd be great too. But I don't think that's something I'm necessarily desiring for others to have. Again, I came at a place from alcoholism. I came at a place from severe addictions. And so having battled those demons, I know what it's like to lose that game. And that no matter what you do, no matter what people say, no matter what signs have tried to point you in the opposite direction if left unchecked those temptations will ultimately kill you not to say that that's what the song means and that's not to say that that's the only correct way to interpret that ending that's just where i came from so this is obviously your first and only project with agr do you ever hope or do you ever think of working with them again? We've talked together for a, d a number of projects since then. It just hasn't worked out timing-wise or schedule-wise or content.
concept wise, but we've, we've, we've collaborated a few times on potential videos since then. I would work with them in a heartbeat. They're fantastic. I, like I said, I, I greatly respect their uh, commitment to their work. And I also am a fan of, of the music in general. I think they put out good tunes. If you could choose any other band or performer that you wish you could make a music video for right now, who would it be? If I could make a music video for anyone, it would be U2 in the early uh, 80s. Why is that? Because they were the best rock band in the world back then. And that kind of music's gone. That was sort of my favorite genre and world back then. And it's a world that's gone now. Like You always get asked this question, who who have you not worked with that you'd like to work with? And the truth is, it's not U2 now because I'm not a big fan of their music anymore. I'm, I I would say yes to doing a music video for him, but I'm not sitting here pining for it. But you two in like 85, 86, hell yeah, that'd be incredible. So are you hoping to work on any other types of projects besides music videos? Yeah, last year I shot a film. Uh, I directed and, and shot it and edited a movie called Rising Star. It is a feature length doc on Amazon Prime that follows a buddy of mine named Griffin House, who's been an artist for about 15 years. And uh, I just jumped on the road with him 20 days and shot this doc and uh, released it last year and it's been doing really well. It's got 55 five-star reviews on Amazon. It's kicking ass and, I, and I, I loved that process. I had so much fun making that. I had so much fun like plotting that out with my buddy. And music videos will always be something that I look on fondly because it, it, it started my career. It gave me a voice. It gave me a, an artistic like fingerprint and I will forever be grateful for that. And I'm sure to some degree, I'll always do music videos here and there. You know what I mean? It's a wonderful art form and I love it. But I've, you know, wanted to tell a bigger story. And what got me popular in music videos was taking the reins and making something new and making something that was distinctively me. And so I want to do the same thing with film. And so this first film I made last year, like I said, called Rising Star, I, I felt like I got to do that. I got to just go out and do whatever the hell I thought would be cool and emotionally riveting and, and draw people in and inspire. And I feel like I did it with some level of success. And so now I'm shooting a new docu-series where we're doing basically a five-episode series on different artists that are on tour. And we're just following their lives and tracking them and the backstory and sort of the genesis of their music and their career and why they're here. And the, the bigger picture really just trying to connect with the human soul, why, we're, why any of us are here and what we're doing, you know? And that's always been sort of one of my main goals as an artist and filmmaker is to connect to that human spirit and what makes us tick and what makes us love laugh and, and long for, for more. Uh, so I'd like to ask you two more questions. First off, do you have any work or music videos that is coming up that you want people to look out for? I have a really big project coming up that is uh, actually something I can't talk about. Uh, but <laughs> it's something that uh, will be coming out this summer. It's a three video project that is for a really massive artist and it's going to be a whole new way of approaching music videos. So I'm super psyched about that. That's all I could say about it. Final question. For anybody interested in following a path like yours or going into a field like directing, cinematography, editing, what advice do you have for them? Anytime you're going to pursue a passion, you have three options in life, right? Pursue nothing and do nothing. Option two is do something that pays the bills. Do what you got to do to make ends meet. And the third option is to do something you love. They all come with their own challenges and they can all be equally difficult depending on the circumstance. But to do the third one, to Pursue your passion wholeheartedly against the grain of what people say is sensible. <laughs> against the option to sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day. That's really hard. And so if that's what you're choosing and you're going to choose to do in your life, make sure that you are prepared to put the work in. Art doesn't just come. Art is work. It's a love for a certain thing, but you've got to put that work in. So I'd say, you know, there's a lot of people, I hate to categorize an entire generation, but that want something for nothing. They want to be called an artist and they want to be called a creator, whatever the new bullshit is on social media. They want to do it as 
simply as possible. It's just not how it works. If you really want to be incredible at something, you want to really fulfill a passion, it's going to take more work than just punching a clock. When I first started my directing, when I was working for Darren, when he was mentoring me, I did a lot of jobs for free for the first couple of years just because I didn't know what the hell I was doing and I had to learn it. When he first started paying me to edit, I was like, oh, I felt like a rich man. You know, that was him giving me a shot and me paying my dues. And then when I got in business, I had to work even harder for even less. I didn't start making significant money till years into it, but I didn't care. I had resigned myself. I'm like, I'm happy to be poor if I could keep doing this shit. I will be poor forever if I could just keep doing this thing I'm doing now. Thank God that didn't stay that way. You know what I mean? But like you have to have that kind of dedication. So anyone that's wanting to pursue the arts, if that really is something you have to do and you want to do it, go do it. But if you just are looking for a quick buck or fame, save yourself the hassle because it ain't there for you. It ain't going to be there. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, dude. You've been absolutely incredible. Awesome. Thanks, brother. And for anybody watching, please go check out his work. Maybe watch it in chronological order to see how <laughs> his uh, story unfolded. But yeah, thanks for watching. And if you really enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing with your friends and subscribing for future podcasts. And before you go, please enjoy the song Anything I Want by Weathers.